0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus, winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Hallelujah. Good to be in the house of the Lord, but more importantly, good to feel the presence of the Lord. Amen. If we were to just go through the the rituals and the calisthenics, if you will, just coming to church and sitting on the pew and leaving and never have any type of experience, it would become very void, very void of really any meaning. Amen. But I'm glad that there are periods of time along the way that we feel the presence of the Lord. Amen. it's not just that we, by faith, walk into his presence, but we feel his presence. If you will, every once in a while we get a glimpse of that pillar of cloud by day and that pillar of fire by night that lets us know, amen, he's here. Amen, he is among us. And I feel that. Maybe no one else does, but I feel him here, amen, this evening in this place. Amen. We are two and a half weeks uh, away from Resurrection Sunday, so keep that in mind on Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. We will just have one service in the a.m., one service in the a.m. on Easter. That's the way it's going. I made an executive decision concerning that. Amen. And there are some other dates and holidays throughout the year. I've made executive decisions on this year. And so that's the way it's going to be on Easter. One service in the a.m. on Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. The next Sunday following that is going to be Pastor Batson. Uh, he's going to be with us. And he's going to be here on the a.m. and p.m. service. So you want to be. Uh, come back after Easter and uh, be a part of those services and we'll have a good time in the Lord. Amen. With them ministering and preaching the word of the Lord. Amen. Also, I have been stating uh, wrongly. I've been saying registration for camp is supposed to be on the 14th. That's a Sunday. It's supposed to be on the 15th of Monday. It's supposed to be on the 15th of Monday. Uh, so no one has to stay up late Saturday night and get there midnight and start registering because that's what I normally do. So that we'll do that Sunday night, and uh, so that's actually on Monday the fifteenth. And so, just be advised of that, and keep that in mind as we head close. Amen. To that, Hallelujah. We're going to turn to First Peter chapter number four. First Peter chapter number four. I'm going to read a few verses of Scripture there, continuing in our series. <clears throat> the Bible says. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life, may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles which he just basically referring to the will of the unbelievers when we walked in lasciviousness lust, excess of wine revelings banquetings and abominable idolatries wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot speaking evil of me. Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead for for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. And that will get us started here this evening. And I want to talk to us tonight on this subject matter, part nine of our series Live like there is no tomorrow. Live like there is no tomorrow. Hallelujah. Father, I come to you right now, and I need you, Jesus, here in the next moments. God, of this Bible study, this Bible lesson, I pray, oh Lord, today that you're able to help us, Lord Jesus, tonight. Lord, open up our minds, God, our understanding. I pray, God, grant me, Lord Jesus, the ability, Lord, to speak your word with clarity. God, in such a way, God, that those that are here can, Lord, understand. Lord God, and pull it in close, nigh, even into their hearts, God, to believe and act. God, upon the Lord, what we hear, the word of God speaks and says in this place tonight, Lord. And we will not fail to thank you and appreciate you. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray amen and amen everybody say amen amen you may be seated tonight so good to have zach niker with us this evening amen we got our double zach back amen zach and zach so glad to have him with us tonight if you'll recall from last week toward the ending of first peter chapter number three peter was finishing another segment as he has done in this series, another segment talking about the suffering of Christ. That has been a great theme throughout this series, throughout this book. And so Peter, with great purpose, moves back and forth between talking about the suffering of Christ and talking about our own personal suffering or what his readers may have been facing. And so there's this ebb and flow of him going back and forth, talking about Christ's suffering and then their suffering. And so in this last segment of chapter number three, he's not just talking about, if you'll remember from last week, just talking about suffering, but he's talking about that dominion. He's talking about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that although he did suffer, he did resurrect. He was triumphant and victorious, amen, over ultimately death. But now in chapter number four, In order to teach us yet another lesson, here is Peter switching back and he's talking about the suffering of the Lord Jesus again. He's turning our attention toward that. And he basically speaks to us and says that Christ suffered as he's told us before, but nevertheless, Christ suffered. He says, therefore, you will suffer. Since he suffered, we will suffer as well. And he says, being that you know that, being that you know that Christ suffered and as a result of that, it is just inevitable then that you are going to suffer. He says, since you know that, you must arm yourselves. You must prepare yourselves. You must equip yourselves almost like a man in the military would arm himself with an arsenal. You because you know what's coming. You know what's going to take place. I've told you this before. You must arm yourselves. But then he follows the way in which we were to arm ourselves. The way that we do this is that we must be mentally prepared. Or he says that we must be like-minded. We must have the same mind that Christ had. We must have the same mind that Jesus operated with whenever he was going through and approaching his suffering. And so we are admonished to arm ourselves or prepare ourselves in such a way that we would have the like similar mind of Christ, or might I even say just for generalities today, that we would have the same resolve that Christ had in his sufferings, we would have in our sufferings. The same determination, the same, if you will, being able to see the end result and the go of what all of this is about, that we would also have that as well, that in doing so, we might be victorious in not giving over to or succumbing to carnal lust of this world. because suffering is always going to try you to see if you are true blue or not. If, if you know, I don't even really know where that whole terminology came from, or phrase "true blue, I don't know. I have to read up on that some other time, but just to determine whether or not it is it is legitimate or not. So we can be victorious over these lusts. We can be victorious, victorious even over our old life and our old self even. Uh, by having the same like mind that Christ had, the same resolve that Christ had. The Amplified Bible, the Amplified Version of the Bible, translates it like this. When it talks about the same mind in our King James Version, it says that we are to have as as, uh, to patiently suffer rather than to fail to please God. That's what it says. It says the same mind, We're, we're to patiently suffer rather than to fail to please God. Meaning this, even if we could put a rather, that we would rather suffer than fail God. We, we would rather go through what we got to go through than to be absent of the Lord. Amen. He said that that's the type of mind that we must have, a mind of Christ. Peter even told us, and all of these things linked together in the book of First Peter. He told us earlier. If you you could flip back to First Peter chapter number one and verse number thirteen, Peter told us. Remember, he told us to gird up our peer, gird up our minds, gird up the loins of our minds. And if you'll remember, the reason why he did that it's because he didn't want our thinking, uh, more importantly, negative thinking, to have any type effect upon our behavior, since Thinking, thoughts do affect behavior. He says, You got to gird up your loins of your mind. You got to pull, you got to bring into captivity every thought. As another portion of the scripture says, Every thought that exalted itself against the Lord. You got to bring all those thoughts into captivity because your thoughts are absolutely going to affect your behavior. And so, a good way to gird up those loins, just have the same mind that Christ had. A good way to gird up those loins to just have the same resolve that he had. For the Bible says in verse 1, he, for he hath suffered, he hath suffered in the flesh. He that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased, has ceased or stopped from sin. Now, there's one thing we want to think of here. If we think concerning Christ, the Bible tells us, Peter tells us, that Christ's suffering was to take care of our sin problem. Christ's suffering culminating in his death was to take care of our sin problem. But we know according to 1 Peter 2.22 that Christ did no sin. He was tempted in all points like as we are, other scripture says, but without sin. He did no sin. Yet 1 Peter 2.24 tells us, and these are just references, we've already studied these, but he bore our sins, the scripture says, in his own body. And so the fact of the matter is this. Whenever Christ went to Calvary, he dealt with sin once, and that's all he was going to have to do in order to deal with sin. The Bible says in Hebrews 10.10, 10, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all. Whereas the Old Testament Here's another lamb. Here's another ram. This is for sin offering. This is for trespass offering. The Day of Atonement. Here's the offering. And that happened every year. Not so whenever the perfect Lamb of God was sacrificed on Calvary. That was once for all. He took care of the sin issue once and for all. But, but, when it says, for he have suffered in the flesh and have ceased from sin, that isn't necessarily referring to Christ here, that's referring to mankind. That's referring to whomever. The Amplified Bible reads like this. He or whoever that suffers in the flesh seizes from, and I like what it did here, and the the Amplified Bible relies highly upon translating Greek and Hebrew words in its text. He says "He, he, he, he or whoever that suffers in the flesh seized from intentional sin. That doesn't mean that there's never a chance or possibility in your life that you'll ever sin again after you come to know the Lord. What it means is that you are not going headlong, or at least should not be, going headlong into sin after you met the Lord. You may be tempted, you may be ensnared, all right, but but intentional sin. Meaning this, listen, the suffering, listen to me for a moment, the suffering an individual goes through because they don't engage in the normal things that society engages in, right? There's things, that, places we don't go, things we don't do, so on and so forth, right? Uh, the societal norms, if you will, of society. Uh, individuals sometimes suffer. We have already looked at this by not doing those things. Because what? You're the strange person, right? Uh, you're the one that's doing something outside of the quote-unquote norm. And as a result of that, Since you suffer, if you suffer as a result of refraining from doing those things, what that proves is this, is that you must have abstained then from some old activity or activity that is associated with the old life, the carnal nature, the sinful nature. And so to understand that then, he that suffers in the flesh has ceased from sin. Because if you're going to be mocked, if you're going to be spoken of as somebody weird because you don't go here or do that or cuss like a seller and so on and so forth, what's your deal? Do? Why don't you? Everybody else does it. And if you're going to receive heat as a result of that, you know what that means? That you must have stepped outside of that realm of fleshly lust and desires and carnal natures. You must have refrained from some things. Amen? And so the scripture holds true then to its meaning. Amen. And the fact of the matter is this. None of us are perfect. All right. Bishop all time says, i am not seeing any little angel wings, you know, poking out of your back. None of us are perfect. But the fact of the matter is, we have made an about face. So the things I used to do, I don't do anymore. The things I used to say, I don't say anymore. The places I used to go, I don't go anymore. Yet they don't line up with the word of the Lord. Right? And so then you might then be, you might get some antagonists as a result of that. People speaking down to you, about you, talking about how you're going to cause your children not to have a very productive, happy life if you live like that. Well, glory. But if you suffer then in the flesh, then you're seized from sin, then you must be living to the beat of a different drum. Jobs, who I've times quoted here through this series, says those who suffer unjustly for their faith in God have demonstrated that they are through with sin to the extent that they would choose to suffer rather than to sin. I love that statement, that they would choose to suffer rather than to sin. Now, consider for a moment the purpose of Christ dealing with the sin problem was so that We that suffer with him, the Bible speaks of that, of us suffering with him, that we, the purpose of this, that when we suffer with him, we may live our days, of course, look at verse number 2, that we may live our days different, this is important, different from our past. Before we come to God, we live according to the lust of men according to the desires and the wants of our flesh. But verse 2 speaks to us why Christ suffered. Another reason, if you will. So that we would not live the rest of our time in this flesh under the guise of the lust of men and the desires of the world, but rather to the will of God. So Christ, here's, here's a big picture. Christ suffered so you wouldn't have to live Like you lived before you knew God. But that you could live like God would have you live. (sighs) Amen. So whenever I see that Christ bore my sins in his body. So that I could be dead to sins. As one writer puts it. And even Peter puts it in 1 Peter 2 24. He took these sins in his body so I could be dead to sins. We've already studied this. But then that I could live unto righteousness. And so, let's just hit the nail over and over. Therefore, to live any other way after being born again, to live any other way after being begotten again, as Peter has spoken to us, is to live unto something that Christ did not die for. He suffered and died so you could live different than what you lived when you were born into this world. He suffered and died so you could live as he would have you live. And so if, you, if he suffers and dies, and you supposedly get an experience with God, you should not live the same way you used to live. Otherwise, you've made his death for you of no impact and no effect because he didn't die for you to live like that. Somebody hear that call today. There's some times that we in our Christian life are living a way that Christ didn't die for. He didn't die for you to live like that. He didn't die for you to go there. He didn't die for you to say those words. He didn't die for you to have that type of attitude. He didn't. No, 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 no. Supposed to be teaching. I understand. I understand. But he didn't. He died, he suffered. So I wouldn't live into the lust of men, but to the will of God. Said another way, he didn't die for our sins so we could continue being a sinner. He didn't just die, amen, be us succumbing to fleshly lust so that we would continue to succumb to fleshly lust. He died for our sins so that we could live redeemed. He died for our sins so that we could live unto the righteousness of God. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1.14, here it is again, talking about after they were girding up the loins of their mind. Remember, he came back and said, and as obedient children. He says this over and over. Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. Why is he telling them that? He says, because I begot you not to live like that. I gave you no new birth. So you wouldn't have to live like that. So our part of following in his steps, which Peter said we should do, in one of his little suffering interludes, 1 Peter 2, 21, part of our following in Christ's steps is then by us arming ourselves with the same mind, the same resolve, and therefore denying our flesh. And we're denying our flesh, why? So that we can follow God. Because you cannot please your flesh and God at the same time. You cannot follow the will of God and pay attention to your flesh. They have in, in, what's it called when they're divorced nowadays, in whatever differences? Yeah, there's some irreconcilable differences there. (laughs) That can't happen. And I'm not... uh, Supporting that for a divorce Just as a side note Come see Sister again. I and We'll talk you out of it <clears throat> Amen Hallelujah Look look at verse 3 if you will and Just look at it <laughs> What he says to us He says there was a time In your past I know it, it caught me off man It just happened I just said, just look at it. And if you have no point of origin for that, then don't worry about it. (laughs) I'm having fun. You all having fun? He said, there was a time in your past that you lived, you acted, and you did as the Gentiles. Which basically means unbelievers. That's what he's referring to. There was a time that you acted and you did as the Gentiles. But look how he words it. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. You know what he's saying? It was enough for whatever period of time it was that you lived like the Gentiles. What are you saying? I'm saying this. He says, if you lived under the Adamic nature of sin for eight years and found God, he said, That eight years was enough living in unbelief. That eight years was enough living like an unbeliever. He said, if it was 40 years that you In other words, he says, it doesn't matter if it was 40 years, eight years, whatever time frame you put on, whatever time it was that you were living like an unbeliever, that suffices, that was enough. What does that mean? Listen, I'll tell you what it means for me. Uh, in, In this generation, that means this. That then there doesn't have to be a time that a person has to sow wild oats. There there don't have to be a time. We're not of any other other denomination. We're not the Amish. We're not giving them a a spot of time where they can go out and see if they're going to stay or not. No, 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 no. If you've come to know the Lord already, you don't have to have a time in your teenage years or anything. Well, I need to go see if I can sow my wild oats if this is really what I want. No, 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 no. If you found God when you was 10 years old, those 10 years was enough of living like an unbeliever. Let's live for God. Let's, let's. Let's live for God. Because those those pre-Jesus days, that was enough. (laughs) Those pre-Jesus days were enough. The Message Bible says it like this. It says, you've already put in your time in that God-ignorant way of life. Now it's time to be done with it for good. Amen. So whether it's eight years, 40 years, whatever. In other words, there's no need to live like that anymore. No need to live like that anymore. And so he goes on talking about that old past, the way that we used to live. Now, see, this is important because what he's about ready to describe here is the way that they lived as Gentiles, the way they lived uh, as unbelievers. Now, here's what I want you all to do tonight. We could probably make our own list in the church, the way that we lived as unbelievers, or even better, maybe make a list the way the unbelievers live. And then we need to go through that list now that we've been born again and see if there's any of those ways we still live in. He said, as unbelievers, this is how we acted. Said so we had lasciviousness, which basically means you live your life in such a way that you arouse a sexual desire in somebody else that is outside of marriage, that is, that is improper. You can do that with the way you act, you can do that with the way you dress, you, you, you can do that with places you go. He says, as unbelievers said, we had the lust. When it's speaking, of that is speaking about the desires and the wants of a Gentile, an uh, unbeliever. He says there was the excess of wine. You were, you were habitually intoxicated. There were revelries, which basically means there were wild parties, orgies, and things of that nature going on. He said there was banqueting. There was drinking parties. He said you had these idolatries. And when you really think of it, in that day, whenever they served their idol gods, you know what went with it? Excessive eating, gluttony, and drinking of, of, of beverages of alcoholic content, uh, content. There was then when you mix that together, then you have the n- no sense. Then no, 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 no mindfulness. Then we have men and women laying together that's married to somebody else. Oh, God. And so you have all of this mesh coming together. Brother McGee, what is the deal? i tell you what the deal is. Nothing's changed. In the days of Noah, they were eating. They were drinking. They'd be in Mary. In the days of Exodus 32, while Moses is up on the mount trying to get the law of God, all of a sudden something breaks down below and they put in some golden earrings into a furnace, and out comes the golden calf, as Aaron t- calls it. I threw it in, and out came this calf. And out comes the golden calf. Before you know it, what are they doing? They're eating, they're drinking, they're being merry. There's all kinds of stuff going on. And you know what the Bible says in the Gospels? In the days of the coming of the Son of Man, it will be like it was in the days of no. What's that mean? Eating, drinking, being merry, and all of this stuff going on. Now listen, it would serve to reason that if this is a list of Peter talking about how they were when they were walking according to the will of the Gentiles, that if a believer of that day would start to go through there and see if they were still doing any of those things, it would be a good indication they're not walking according to the will of God. Is that true? Or am I just somewhere out in the Milky Way? Huh? Huh? And so they have a list, and no doubt this isn't an exhaustive list, but I'm saying we need to take inventory and make our list. A few different, few different people lean in and uh, comment on this fact. I wish just to read it to you. It's not mine. I didn't come up with it. This other people. This, just, this is just denominational outside of apostolic people. Said the pagans of the first century viewed Christians as killjoys. They don't have no fun. don't want to do anything. Who lived gloomy lives devoid of pleasure. Not much has changed. That was first century. You hear me? They don't know how to have fun. They don't know how to have any enjoyment in life. All this can't, can't, can't do all this junk. Can't do this. Can't go there. Can't eat that. Can't boo boo. Do, 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 do. Listen, let's stop talking about the cans. Let's start talking about the cans. The devil that told Eve in the garden said you can't eat of the tree in the midst of the garden. That's what caused her to sin to begin with. But no one talked about all the other trees except that one that they could eat of. You can't smoke. You can't cuss. You can't drink. Let me tell you something else. You don't have to worry about STDs when you get married if you remain a virgin. Huh? You don't have to worry about hanging your head over a toilet in the morning because of an overhang. You don't have to worry about getting something from a dirty needle because you inject drugs. Uh-huh. Nobody hear me right now. Amen. Oh God. Everybody doing all right? Go on and look at verse number four. So that was your past life. And that was sufficient. That was enough. But now that you're a believer, now that you're a believer, not everybody converted. No, Not everybody's going to convert, all right? And not all the Gentiles are going to become believers. Not all the unbelievers are going to become believers. But you became a believer. Not everybody converted. And now, those same ones that you went to the banquets with, those same ones that you got drunk with, those same ones that you aroused sexual desires in, now they're looking at you like you are strange. Why? Primarily because you don't do the things you used to do. It is a tragedy if your formal friends don't think you're strange in some manner and way. And I know that may seem comical. But if you've supposedly had a God change and you're still doing everything you used to do, <sighs> look, 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 look here. The, the New International Version translate think it's strange, think it's strange, wherein they think it's strange that you do not run to them to the same excess of riot. The, the, the New International Version says. That wherein they are surprised that you don't run with them. I like that. I like that. They are surprised. (laughs) Let me ask you a question. Is there any way that you live your life right now that surprises the people that you once ran with? Hmm? Is is, Is there any way that you live your life right now that surprises the people you used to run with? And if so, great. But let me tell you this. Keep surprising them with other ways. Amen. <laughs> I just can't believe they go to church three times a week. I just can't believe they dress like that. I just can't believe they won't spend a little bit of money and go sit at a barstool in the bar and have a good time. I just can't believe they don't cuss anymore. How in the world do they even have vocabulary, say anything else? I just can't believe that they really think somebody can die on a tree and give them life beyond this life. Mm -hmm. Someone say amen. So when I look at verse 4, you know what verse 4 tells me? You know what tells me? It proves that there is a difference or at least should be a difference in our behavior and manner of life after coming to know the Lord. Because it's saying, these people that used to run, if you are saying, it's strange. They're surprised by what's going on. Remember the prodigal son in Luke 15? You remember him leaving his father's house? And what did the Bible say that he spent all of his riches on? Riotous? Riotous? He like said we don't understand. See, and Peter's saying they don't understand why we don't run with the same excess of riot. The prodigal, though, spent all of his riches on riotous living. But when he did that, he was living beyond his father's house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was living beyond his father's house. Now, you've got to consider culturally why this was such a big deal in Peter's day in particular, in any day. But culturally for them, the great Greco-Roman world the servant of their pagan gods, a multiplicity of gods, that is not something that was just confined to a synagogue or a church house in their culture, all right? Serving the gods was, it wasn't like America, everybody having the right to serve their own god and, own, and, and, and participate in their own religion. That wasn't the way then. There was a national religion. There was a country religion. And so serving their gods wasn't just over here in a hut in a private setting. Whenever they had public festivals, whenever they had public goings for the country or for a city, you know what they incorporated in that? Things that reverenced and worshipped their God. So we're not talking about, you know, you not showing up for church or showing up for church and just those here knowing. We're talking about everybody knows. We're on a public forum here. This is a, it, it, to make a similarity today, it would be like, and we have this going on at, at times in, in America, but it'd be like true red, white, and blue-blooded Americans whenever people are not given the respect to the flag during the Pledge of Allegiance. Most people, I know there's a lot of controversy there. We can talk about that another time, but anyway, most people would think that would be disrespectful. Well, you got to think in this culture and time to not revere the notable national God in a public forum as the whole nation would be. They were looking then at the Christians just like you might look at somebody being disreverent to the flag during the Pledge of Allegiance. So, honey, you became strange real quick. You became out of the ordinary real quick. Now, that was just an analogy. I'm not making those two things absolutely equal saying, well, if the Christians were able to deny their gods, then someone should be able to deny the flag. Okay, I feel like sometimes i got to do all kinds of this sweeping behind me just because I know how people's minds work. And so if you were not to honor the gods, you're definitely going to be looked down upon by all. And so you would be evil spoken of as the Scripture relates in verse number 4. You'd be evil spoken of because you would, be, you would abstain from doing things you used to do. And look what happens. Think with me for a moment. When, when me and you, not that we did, but let's say we did. Let's say me and Brother Mason in a time past used to go out and hang out at the bars. Corrals with the ladies. <laughs> I don't want anybody ever to have to experience that in our future. But let's say we used to do that. Let's say, though, something happens. I'll let it happen to you to be the good guy, all right? <laughs> something happens to Brother Mason, and he finds Jesus. And he doesn't, he doesn't go to the bars with me anymore or carouse with the ladies. And so by abstaining from that, you know what's going on? He's condemning what he used to do. And when he's condemning what he used to do, I feel like he's condemning me because I'm still doing it. And so therein is the rub. People feel condemned by you not participating because they feel like you're saying I'm right and they're wrong. Well, that is in essence right. But we're not taking a sword toward them. We're taking a sword toward the activity. And it just so happens since they still practice it, they feel guilty by association. And so they feel condemnation on them that we're pointing some finger at them. No, I'm pointing the finger. No, I'm pointing the finger at the drinking and I'm pointing the finger at the carousing. I just so happen to still pretend. they go speak evil of you. (laughs) Because they feel guilty. Because now what you have ruled is not right. You've ruled it not right because you are no longer participating in what you used to have, would have participated in. Going on verse number five. Oh, Lord, we got to run. No, we don't. I heard that on Mike Penrod. I'll call you out on it. Here's the fact of the matter, though. We will allow the voices of society and even the voices of old friends and sometimes the voices of family to be louder than the voice of God. Because at the end of time, at the end of day, when all the smoke settles, listen to me well, you do not have to give an account to your family and you do not have to give an account to your old friends and you do not have to give an account to the opinions of men. But the scripture tells me every single one of us, though, will give an account to God, including the ones that spoke evil against you. Hmm. So what did Peter say earlier in the last chapter? He said, we got to be ready to give an account for the hope that lies within us. That's true. But we all got to be ready to give an account to God someday. And the Bible says we got to be ready this because We're going to give an account to him. And this is the God. This is the God that judges both the quick and the dead, meaning the quick, meaning the living and the dead are going to be judged by God. And we will all give an account to God. Here is the amazing thing. Listen, newsflash. People that don't even believe in God will have to give an account to God. People that don't believe this true or believe this is the way are going to have to give an account to God. This is not that only those that believe in God or have any type of devotion to God are going to have to give an account to God. No, this is scripture. Whether you believe it or not, all people going to give an account to God. Those that believe it or don't believe it are going to give an account to God. Amen. Everyone is going to give an account. Now, now, now look at this. I, I, there's something dealing with here a little bit in the New Testament Scripture that, that begins to crop up its head a little later in the Scriptures. The Bible says in 1 John 5 and 6, and i just introduce this just real quickly, amen, because it's something that we still, I think, to a certain degree, are contending with today. The Bible says in 1 John 5 and 6, This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Speaking of Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood and it is the spirit that beareth witness because the spirit is truth I bring this up because I believe it is pertinent for what Peter is contending with in his day and even in our day amen now the writer here in first John is John and th- th- this this little nugget of truth came to me while I was getting ready it might have it been just lot like yesterday I was listening to a sermon while I was getting ready by Ben Weeks and he began preaching. And, and he's told some truth, and I've studied First John before, but it just brought it all back to my memory, that John, in John, is addressing uh, what was known as a Gnostic philosophy. And their philosophy was this, that Jesus Christ really did not come in the flesh. Meaning that God really, Jesus really didn't come in the flesh. This, this Jesus, that he wasn't both God and man. It was the mindset of that day. That he just had the appearances that he was in the flesh. Whatever that means. Just had the appearances that he was in the flesh. But as a result of this Gnostic philosophy and doctrine, that, that there was really no, no fleshly portion of God being manifested, if you will, in the flesh, they thought then, since their bodies and their flesh, by all, all nature from the beginning of the garden forward, amen, after the sin, were inherently evil, and their flesh was ungodly and wicked, that if you received the Spirit of God, that was great. But what you did in your body and your flesh didn't matter. Meaning, you have the Spirit of God, you the spiritual things, but anything you did in your flesh and your body did not matter anyway. And so therefore, as a result of this thinking, they figured out that they, they, they could get out of living holy. They could get out of upholding any moral conduct. Because if they had the Spirit, then whatever the flesh did or whatever they did through their flesh or in their body didn't matter. It was all just a spiritual thing. (laughs) Someone say amen. We haven't got too far from that today. I got God's Spirit. I've received Him into my heart. It doesn't matter what I do with my body, to my body, through my body. I'm redeemed. Folks, according to my word, we know that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. And we know that that Holy Spirit that overshadowed Mary conceived in her, that child, Jesus Christ, meaning this, that the Spirit had just as much to do with the body of Christ as Mary did. So yes, it does matter what we do in these bodies, through these bodies, and with these bodies, just as much as what we do in the spirit, it matters what we do in the flesh. Hallelujah! Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Going on now, going on now. We're gonna go. Verse 6. That's just there for your reference. I'm gonna talk, you just listen and you look at verse 6. The gospel was preached to them that are dead. The gospel was preached to them that are presently dead. We kind of hit on this a little bit last week. In other words, the gospel was preached to these people who were alive, but now they're dead. Okay? They passed on. We preached to them while they were living. But they passed on. Because, and why was the gospel preached to them? Because everyone is going to be judged by men or according to men. Everyone is going to meet death if they don't go by the rapture first or the alternative. Everyone's going to be judged by death. But hopefully, since he is preaching to living people and he preaches to them, and if they go off this earth and die, the hope is this, is that their introduction to the Lord, to that death, burial, and resurrection, the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ would hopefully alter and change and they would receive that, that opportunity of a new birth experience so that even though they would die, they could live unto God in the spirit. Because although the body dies, the spirit is going to live, right, eternally somewhere. And you know another reason why he preaches the gospel, why he preached to the gospel to them that were dead Amen, meaning that he preached to the living and they died. You know why he preached the gospel to them? Because on judgment day, we'll all be able to stand before the Lord without excuse. Without excuse. And so here's the fact of the matter. People in Peter's day was doing this. Peter? I didn't almost hearing. So you talk about This not living like we used to, not living like the Gentiles did and all that. But Peter, I've seen some of these folks that didn't live like they used to and they died. And there were people that still just lived like the world and they died too. So what's the big deal, Peter? We both got the same end. Both of them are dead. Oh, that may be true. And that was even a little struggle of the church of Thessalonians because they were struggling with the fact, amen, of those that already went to the grave. Amen. Where are they going to be at concerning when the Lord comes? You know, they're already in the grave. And that's whenever he had to them, in the last day the trump of God shall sound, and they, the dead in Christ, he told them is going to rise first. What? It's not over whenever humanity thinks it's over. In other words, yes, both the believer and the unbeliever may die listen to me today, but just as, listen to me, but just as the believer and the unbeliever may have lived differently before death, the unbeliever and the believer will live differently after death. Oh, you hear what I'm telling you? They are living two divergent different paths before death, and it's going to be the same matter after death. There are two divergent different paths. Hallelujah. And so if you want to be accounted with His, you better live like you're His right now. Oh, God, you got to live like you belong to him right now. The English Standard Version says it like this, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. You know what he said? Peter said earlier, talking about Christ, Speaking of Christ, he said, you know what? Christ was put to death in the flesh, but what? Quickened in the spirit. So we're judged by men. Ultimately, death. That's going to come to every man. We're judged by men according to the suffering, the accusations, the slander, whatever it is you receive from man. You are judged by men. All right? We're judged by death because the original sin of mankind. We're judged by that. But we live by God. Why? Because of his spirit. So you can only live by God if you have the Spirit of God. You must be born again. You must have the Holy Ghost. It goes beyond a confession with your mouth. hmm In order to, live, in order to live, live like God, live as God, live with God, it happens according to His Spirit so here's the thing Peter could say back to those boys I know you can live the way God according to God's will according to the will of Gentiles and you both can die but boys just because the believers are dead it's no indication their life lived into God in the spirit is over because see you all got that wrong when you killed Christ too you thought it was over that there was a life in the spirit. <laughs> so don't get, don't get all, if you will, duped by that. Because you've already been duped by that once through the life of Christ. He said just because the believers are dead doesn't mean that there isn't a life lived to God in the spirit that isn't over. There is an afterlife. He told us already, what are those folks doing? They're living for the inherited blessing that was still yet to come. 1 Peter 4. 7. Boy, you guys don't have my clock, do you? I'm sorry about that, folks. I blame it on that. I don't know how long I've been up here. God help us. 1 Peter 4, verse number 7. Look at it now. I'm just going to read till verse 11. And this, this is more like a whistle stop than like the first part. He says, but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Let me just stop right there. See, Peter has turned a corner here. Peter's turned a corner. Because he's been talking about how we ought to live. He's been talking about how we should be living differently than how we used to live. And then he turns a corner here and he starts talking about the end of all things being at hand. If I say it like this, because he's going to show us two spheres. He's told us how we live in relationship with the world. And now he's going to show us how we live in relationship with believers. And with both of those, you know what he's conveying to us? My title to you tonight. You need to live as though there is no tomorrow. We've got to live with the end in view. He said the end of all things. This is what Peter said. He said the end of all things are at hand. Now, Brother McGee, how in the world could the end of all things be at hand and we're some 2,000 years removed already for Peter? Somebody got it wrong. (laughs) the scoffers of their day (laughs) said the same I think it was later in Peter that the scoffers were even saying all things have continued just like they've always continued since the day that you said that the Lord was coming, nothing's changed you know what they were saying, you're saying the end of all things are at hand but it's still going the end of all things is at hand and they have been, listen to me right now they have been ever since Pentecost. Why? Because the only thing that really necessitates the Lord coming back is that he has already died, that he's already been buried, that he's already resurrected, and that he already ascended and filled people with the Ghost. That's the only thing that's necessary, really, in reality. That's the reason why they said the end of all things are at hand. Because why? Because Job prophesied in the last days, say of God, I will pour out my spirit and then on Pentecost Peter says this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, Joel said if it would be the last days, Peter is saying guess what the last days have arrived and it's been the last days ever since Pentecost through the church age, what does that mean, the imminent return of Christ he can come anytime at any moment anywhere, so we are in the, we are at the end of the end Mm hmm and so Peter's saying, you've got to live your life like there's no tomorrow because there might not be. you got to live your life like when you lay your head tonight, you're not getting up tomorrow. But no, we'll live our lives and say, it's okay, there'll be another surface. It's okay, I can repent later. It's okay, it isn't going to matter for today if I do that. I still have X number of years upon this earth. My parents and grandparents lived till they were 75. I can probably get there too. You have no guarantee of that. You've got to live like we are living in the end of the end. You. But we get calloused modern technology and all these things that you know we can do so much for people with heart attacks and health issues now that their longevity is a greater longevity for them and we have all these things you know man's are increasing upon the earth because we have all this modern stuff and so we have this feeling to a degree sometimes of being invincible or even Can I say like this? Even sometimes the things that we watch, the things that we've been exposed to from childhood up, we don't look at death the way that people used to look at death because now you have people that supposedly die and they are alive. You have, you have fictional characters. They can be shot, little Lego characters, poo, 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 and they die and they're standing back up. What's that mean? That death is not real. Oh, Brother McGee, we don't believe that. You might not literally, but in our subconscious, there have been seeds planted in our brains. This is a side note, but that's probably why some even younger kids can get hold of firearms and weapons and shoot it at someone and not really realize the gravity of it because they've seen so much where that happens, but they don't really die. So Christ says, we got, we got, Peter says, the end of all things are at hand. And so we, we got to be sober. We got to be sober. There it is again. We, we got to keep a sound mind. We got to be sober. We can't be intoxicated. I'm not talking about literal stuff, but just with things. We can't be intoxicated. You know what the word be sober in, 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 in the New King James Version, the Bible I'm reading this year says, says you got to be serious. You got to be serious. This is not a laissez-faire attitude. You gotta be serious. You can't be intoxicated. You can't be intoxicated with fleshly lust. You can't be intoxicated with the desires of the world. You know what he says? You can't be that. He says you gotta watch unto prayer. You gotta be waiting prayerfully, looking for the Lord's return. In other words, he says if you have a right mind and some clear thinking, that should be resulted in some praying. <sighs> Amen. Resulting in some praying. Now, look now, we'll run to this. I keep looking at the clock. and It's not looking back at me. Let me go and read verses 8 through 11, and I'll make a few little comments, and we'll go home like there's no tomorrow. I'm trying to preach right now like there's no tomorrow. I use all the time right now, there's not tomorrow. That fit in nicely. I know my wife's proud of me concerning that. And and above all things, verse 8, and above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. See, here's where Peter is switched from talking about the relationship with unbelievers. Now he's, he's coming back toward the relationship with believers. Above all things, have fervent charity. Look among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath receiveth the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Remember back a few chapters earlier, we had the manifold temptations of God. That matches up with this now manifold grace for the manifold temptation. We had testing. We have the manifold grace of God. Verse 11. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And if any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God and all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom be praise, dominion forever and ever. So Peter does the switch to relationship with believers now. And he says, Here's what, here's how we need to live like there's no tomorrow with believers. We must, we must love. The fulfilling of the law in one word in Galatians was love. The two commandments that everything is hung on, centered around love. We must love. Love must be predominant in the church among its members. Love must be in the church. Why, he says, because love covers many sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. Now, does that mean that love ignores sin? No. That means that love has the ability of what love does in 1 Corinthians 13 it endures all things, it bears all things, it's forbearing. Love is forgiving. Love doesn't keep a score of offenses. We need that among the members. Huh? We need that among the members living like there's no tomorrow. Love covers and forbe- it allows us to forbear the wrongs that happen even within the body. He says something else to live like there's no tomorrow concerning the believers. He says you need to be, uh, have hospitality one toward another. Now that was very important that day. It's not like they had a lot of hotels and, you know, embassy suites and the Hilton and the Marriott and all that. If there was going to be anybody standing somewhere that they normally were not uh, at or accustomed to, someone's going to have to open their home for them to stay. And so, but for our day to be, to have hospitality is, and he said, do it not not grudgingly. She's like, yeah, you can stay here tonight. <laughs> yeah, I'll feed you a meal. You know, hospitality is about open-heartedness. Just open-heartedness and being sincere when doing it. Furthermore, look now. Look now, verse number 10 around there. This is telling me this gift that it's speaking about everybody has received. He tells us really what it is. The gift that everyone has received is the gift of grace. The grace of God. And he's he's say, telling us in verse number 10 there, not only have we received the grace of God, but since we've received the grace of God, we should practice that grace among ourselves. And what he says then is, if you look at it, he says, then when we do this, this really makes us proper stewards of this manifold grace of God. See, that comes to mind because whenever I consider the word steward right, I don't own whatever I'm a steward over. But I am a manager of it. According to how the owner deems me to apply, distribute, or whatever. He says, you've received grace. So, but you need to practice grace. You need to be a steward of it. So what's that mean? You can't begrudge it from one whenever the owner is saying give it because you're just a steward of it. You're not an owner of it. You're doing according to his desires. You're doing according to that as he deems. And look at it now. He says as you receive the gift, even so minister the same to one another. So each one has received this gift, this gift of grace. And so as we have received it, we are now to minister with it. In other words, once you receive grace, you must become a server of grace to others. Verse 11, and I'm closing, you and stand. I'll wrap it up. He gives a few little examples now here in verse number 11. If any man, this is still speaking of how we are living with each other as though there's no tomorrow, as the end is nigh. He said, if any man speaks, he must speak to the oracles of God. In other words, speak as God speaks and minister with the ability that God has given you. Because when it's all said and done, all things are going to glorify God. Because you're speaking as God speaks and you're serving as God speaks has given you ability to. So your speaking and your serving all points to who? God. It all goes back to God. God gets the glory. And it just makes sense. It just makes sense. The Bible says in Colossians 3.17, that whatsoever you do in word or deed, word, deed, do all the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving glory to God and the Father by Him. So, live like there's no tomorrow. In in your life with unbelievers, live like there's no tomorrow. What's that mean? Don't do what you used to do. Live like there's no tomorrow. What does that mean with the believers? Love. Show hospitality. Exercise the gift of grace that you have received. Exercise it among Uh, The brethren means all of those various things live like there is no tomorrow. We bow our heads here tonight. I do not want to leave without praying here this evening. I know on Wednesdays, we many times we don't open up the altar. But let me state this concerning that. If there is ever a time that you wanted to come to an altar on Wednesday night, I am by no means going to say get up and get out of here. Please understand that because I feel the spirit of the Lord here that someone could feel a drawing of God's spirit tonight to do something about life. And so although I'm praying right now, I'm telling you, these altars, as we always say, they are always open. Father, I come to you right now in the name of Jesus. I pray, oh God, tonight, Lord, that I pray, God, that your word, your word will be fused, Lord God, with our souls and our spirits tonight. I pray, oh God, that you're able to help us, O Lord, here this evening. God, I want to live, God, the way that you died for me to live. God, I don't want to live, Lord Jesus, God, like I did. But God, I want to live, God, like you, Lord Jesus, died for me to live. The righteousness of God according to the will of God. I pray, oh, Lord, help me to live my life, God, with the church and the believers, God, with love and hospitality and having forbearance, God, with wrongs, Lord Jesus, and and infractions, Lord, that crop up among us. I pray, oh, God, help me, God, to be a distributor of grace. God, as you deem it, I'm just a steward. I've I've been a recipient of it, and I need to be a giver of it. God, help me, Lord, to be a good steward over it. Help me to speak as you speak, God. To minister, God, with the gifting and the ability as you have given the ability to do so. Because God, at the end of the day, it's not anybody's glory but your glory that needs to be had. It's no one's glory but your glory, God. Brother Mason, do you have a song that we could just end with? And people can be dismissed as we dismissed or pray or whatever they desire to do in this moment. Let's just sing a few bars of the song here tonight. I want to live. God, that's what I want to live like this note to live. the way. To live like this. No, to live. The he wants me. It matters what I do in my spirit, and it matters what I do in through into I these bodies. I want. It matters.